Welcome to Moonday Mystic by Modern Mystic Shop, the podcast where we help you harness your intuition, your personal power, so that you can live a magical life. You know what I mean? Um, did you guys have any of that experience? Like trying them trying to like take your oh. yeah, yeah. And, and I would also say, yeah. Um, oh, this they got this because of the oh, sorry they've got like oh she got into this because of my recommendation yeah. or like uh, this happened because of my advice. So blah 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 blah. That was a very quick mm. um, or especially like even in the arts too. People are very quick to take credit for, oh, I was the one who helped her prep for this and that's why she got it Mm -hmm. or that's why he got this. And it's all because of me. Yeah. It's Um, disempowering. So, yeah, but that's just such such a weak person to do that. It's so annoying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for sure. I would also say there's an encouragement to that, like in the business of, service providers like i think also there's just a lot of encouragement of like i know when i've done um telesummits where they you know i come on to like a program and i sell uh a healing session or something there's a lot of pressure to have testimonials and for them to sound like as insane as possible like there is an emphasis on testimonials and on showing and and we're this I know we're talking about healing again here but it's just such an unregulated like like coaching and advising is so unregulated also you know like I think that's a whole other way this stuff happens is just the lack of regulation and the lack of proof needed and the lack of accountability but um that's why I think this also gets muddy too because there's a lot of encouragement of that um and I'm, I feel grateful that early in my kind of journey, I did have a teacher who said, just always remember, like when someone's come to you, they've, they're already healed. Like it's already happened. Whatever they needed has already happened. And it's, it's not your business, whether it happens with you or later on or with someone else, like just, you know, to not take correct, to not take over responsibility on either end of, of anything, but it's a whole nother conversation of also being in integrity with the work you do and with um, what the agreements have been and what the support is supposed to be. Okay. So I'm also thinking, so I'm looking through some of our questions here and we're actually really organically covering a lot of it, but I think what I'm seeing hearing from all of us is like, why, well, maybe I'll ask you like why you think you joined or like we're susceptible to these sorts of communities. And I guess we've hinted to it a little bit. For me, I think it was like trying to, an earnest attempt at healing. And I think also like externally needing someone to tell me what to do to heal. And then also is thinking about this, like I have a lot of astrology in my 11th house, which is like groups and communities. And I was also like Lysandra and you guys, like a team sport player. And 
And I mm-hmm. do believe in the power of transformation through groups, even in good ones. And that's why I like to facilitate groups. I think that we all ride the current together. I think you like, you get some momentum there, but I think I also just have the inclination to like to be in groups of people and like make meaning from that and feel like a sense of belonging from that. And in the proper groups, like when I go to cooking classes every Tuesday night, not a big deal. (laughs) But when Mm. it starts to get into like the spiritual community, sometimes um, for me, it got a little edgy in certain areas. So is there any other like revelations that you had in your sort of post mortem of these experiences that you haven't mentioned that kind of you think made you veer in that direction? Well, I think I kind of covered why I entered it. Um, But I think in the end, it's just realizing like we can't outrun the suffering that's ours to have. Like, part of life is suffering and sometimes we're here to just be a witness to what someone's going to go through rather than try to rescue them or prevent it um so i think that's something i learned is like i'm not here to be rescued and i'm not here to rescue anyone else and when we give someone that role mm-hmm. in our life that they're the savior we accept bad behavior if we think it's part of how we're going to be rescued Um, so I think Mm -hmm. that that's been a big one is like, you know, we can choose how we experience the ride and how we respond to things, but like, we're not here to prevent what's happening. We're here Mm -hmm. to experience it and meet, meet the moment, not control the moment or have someone else control it. Um, so I'm also curious about like the, the kind of people that you met in these organizations or through these experiences, I will still say to this day, the cult that I was in and then this other community where I met you guys, I have met some of the greatest people I've ever known, honestly, and some of my best friends. And what I what I kind of feel about some of these cults and why they are able to retain people so long isn't even the teacher or the leader or the head. It's the relationships that you build in those communities that you want to maintain. And then in real hardcore cults, like the one that I was in, that is threatened. Like when you exit, you also leave your entire peer group and your who has become your social sphere in addition to your spiritual community and your soul sisters or whatever. Um, but I would say like gen, gen, genuinely across the board, some of the coolest people ever and like really self-aware, down to do the work, you know, salt of the earth, people that genuinely want to grow and love and, and all that stuff. So that's also what kept me there for quite some time. What what have you guys experienced with like people in spiritual community? Is it similar? Uh, I mean, yeah, for me, um, I think in the spiritual communities, uh, again, I think for, I was kind of a photographer in a lot of these instances. So, but I did make some, I did make friends, um, in the with the organization that we're not we're we're not naming for some reason uh but we are not naming it i guess so it's 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 not that big of a deal but we met there and i was doing photography for that and yeah i met some really wonderful women there um so that would say that that's probably the best thing that came out of that some well-adjusted people and some people that you can kind of, it's like with any group you connect with some people and then some people you're like <laughs> yeah i'm gonna stay 
I'm going to stay a little far away from you. In the group where we met, it kind of reminded me of a high school where like whatever class you entered in, you kind of like kept those friends and kept growing and didn't really like make friends with the freshmen, you know, like once you were a junior, did you guys have that kind of experience or? Yeah. Well, I just agree. Like the people are the best part. And I feel like that's been the greatest gift is just to know people from every generation from all over the world. Like you get to meet the most interesting people and deeply connect with them in a way that I don't think there's a lot of other parts of life that allow that. Most people are in schools and in relationships and in neighborhoods and in jobs with kind of the to people that are similar to them. So it's such a cool, exp- I mean, it's the best part for sure. And, and also like that was sometimes what would confuse me too, is that the caliber of, of people that were part of some of these um, groups uh, and were, were such a high level of, of, of person and integrity and like that, that can be confusing. I've also read something that that's a, do some cults make sure to have that. Like they know it's important to have, to have it look like a lot of like high caliber, high integrity people are part of things. Like I have heard that's um, one of the tools, but that that was part of the gift and part of what made it sometimes confusing to know whether I was part of something that was harmful. Um, I loved that question though, because when I really thought about it, the people I think I see in these experiences are people who have not had their needs met or their questions answered in mainstream society. People who have had some sort of collapse and everything is burned down and they're like searching for the way people looking for family and belonging and acceptance that hasn't happened in their, in the structure they grew up in. And I feel like I also saw a lot of people who like already have crushed it in mainstream society, especially more recently. And they're like, now I'm coming to this realm, you know, like, and so, um, and it's also interesting. It's also interesting, but I feel like if I had to categorize, that's like, that's the categories for me. All right. So, um, okay, here's another, my next question for you guys. So in these cult situations or with these practitioners that we've dealt with that might not be an integrity, do you think that it started with a malicious intent or do you think it's something that started in most cases innocently and then like power and ego trips and all of this stuff made it kind of take a weird turn and then go downhill. And I think about the, sorry, I'm also, I'm thinking about like Elizabeth Holmes. Like when I was listening to that Theranos story, Theranos story about her, I'm like, did she know she was actively lying or did she just like so full of belief in herself that she like is believing her own bullshit. That's another time when I've kind of think about this stuff or like when you hear these like business entrepreneurs that do some really shady stuff. Do you guys have opinions about whether it's premeditated or gradual? Uh, I think it's both. I mean, I was also very fascinated by her and her story is someone who seems like they were corrupted along the way and then were in too deep to admit that. It was an issue, um, but I think that there's people who definitely have narcissistic, some sort of narcissistic borderline type of disorder um, that see this as a great opportunity to have their needs met, to have the needs of that that issue met th- 
through being in leadership in these sort of um, worlds and realms. But I also think there's people that came from a really good in intention. And like what I call it is they, they scaled beyond their integrity. They've scaled. It got bigger than them. It got bigger than their human self and their, their first intention. And then they're surrounded by people who are, their job is to support whatever they're saying because the, the game is that whatever they're saying is right. So they don't have enough um, people around them seeing their humanity and, and, and asking to check things and to, uh, you know, like, I think that like, it would be very easy, but I think you probably have to have a personality type that would tend towards that already. It's kind of like politics, I think, you know, like there's something going on there that you, you, you find yourself in that situation. And then at the same time, we've created an infrastructure for someone who's sick to get sicker. Hmm. What do you think, Lysandra, with your practitioner experience and others? Um, I mean, I think it starts out, look, uh, for me, in my experience, I've seen people that it starts out innocently enough where they do. And I think you have to be a little Delulu to think that you're going to be like famous or if, if you think you're going to be like the yeah. top of any field, you have to have like this sort of um, um, grand belief in yourself beyond what you that you can achieve something that is beyond what you are presently experiencing and so but that's manifesting that's like dreaming that's like, so I think we can all kind of relate to that however like like you said I in my experience I do feel like that there's probably an uh, a, either a diagnosed or an undiagnosed personality disorder but there is a there is a healthy dose of narcissism that is that exists in the people that do rise to the top of these um, organizations and fields um, because you do have to ultimately at the end of the day make decisions that move yourself forward um, and because what differentiates a spirit one spiritual teacher from another right the like the one that really believes and pushes their brand their agenda they're 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 the one that has the 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 best mm -hmm. yoga class they're the one that has the best uh teaching right there has to be a little bit of narcissism in there and not narcissism nar narcissism isn't always that you can be self-centered and, and self-focused in a healthy way but when it gets out of hand is like like you said, when people stop checking in with you and that happens to celebrities all the time, that happens to people of great wealth, when people stop telling yeah. you no, uh, people stop asking questions because they fear the power that you have. And that's when the power imbalance, that's when you do need to be checked is because if the power imbalance is so far off, people can't be completely honest with you mm. because they fear you. They fear a that things are yeah. going to be taken from them or they fear their safety uh, a lot of the times. And so that's where that's, that's, I think, and I don't know if I think like, just like it happened, just like you give one go, gives away their power. I think they, they keep taking power little by little and they think that they deserve it. Mm. Uh, and then uh, once, I mean, I've seen a couple of people just like, you can, I think there might be, I don't know, 
they're either evil or they're sick, <laughs> but, but like they do feel uh, entitled to people's time. And like, yeah, you should be paying me this much. Yeah, absolutely. You should be uh, working for me for free mm-hmm. because of, yeah, like, uh, because I am the, like they, they'll start to buy their own, uh, buy their own Kool-Aid or whatever, mm. drink it. It's like um, a wild thing, but yeah, I think it happens slowly, but I, but it happens and it's wild. So do you think that money piece that you were saying, like they, people don't check them and they just allow them to continue with their agenda because they're afraid something's going to be taken. Do you think that's probably why the closer you get to the center and like working for this organization, et cetera, it becomes more cult like because of that, the power imbalance is just bigger when you're an employee. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, when you have um, like Scientology, like for example, there's people that live in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know we're not supposed to mention the like that them because they come after people. But like, you know, <laughs> there's organizations that like come that, that you do um, that trade time for like, like Seva, the service, like you, there's a lot which can be say like, oh, or is it indentured servant, like servitude or, and there's even like, um, churches like around the United States that have people, um, do full jobs for free, you know, yeah. like, oh, I'm a volunteer. Yeah. Like I'll be a volunteer, like being a volunteer video editor or something like that. That's someone's full ass jobs that you could, should be getting paid for. But a lot of like organization and then they it's just like the politics of the money and the power imbalance when it comes to spiritual. It's so abuse. It can be abusive if it's in the wrong hands. So I, I feel like acceptance becomes the currency and and the more acceptance becomes the only currency you're getting and belonging, the more you have to. Yeah, there's a lot of organizations where people are living in in that community together, or li- you know, you're your cult that you were part of. And it's like, well, the only currency I have is acceptance and belonging. And there's really, uh, there's like a, I'm not saying you did, but just, I've definitely observed people who are asking too much from, from people from the community and asking for them to just want the inclusion and the belonging for their time and effort. And I just think some of these people are not even malintentioned. They've just lost touch with reality. Yeah. Because their their currency has been belonging and inclusion for so long that they forgot what it is to not have that be how you can survive. Um, you know, and I'm talking more about the people in the inner circles and the staff, yeah. probably more than the, the leader. But there's just like a lot of good people I've seen be part of these things where I don't even think they realize what they're asking for from people because they they do it themselves. They do it them. They do it themselves, but they are also financially gaining from it. They're not suffering and sacrificing equally as the employees are. Oh, oh, so yeah. that's the big difference. Like the leader, the leader, for example, in any of these organizations, they're t- they're lining their pockets with whatever income is coming in, and the employees are often working around the clock as a ten ninety nine salary position. Yeah, that's and so that's who they I'm are not. Yeah, not yeah. the leader. Yeah. I'm referring to the staff. Is often the ones doing the bidding for the leader and they're asking, they're doing the same thing they're asking people to do 
because that's how they've lived for so long as part of the staff. Yeah, I would say that's it. I think we need to normalize when we're joining groups and programs that people are getting paid well and how to ask that question. Mm. Because I would say like in the organization that I was in, there were, I mean, they were not making, they were working more than full time, the top of the top people, they were not making enough to buy groceries or have proper health care or anything like that. And that's not something I learned about until long after I left. And I knew that I wasn't getting paid, but I was also doing, you know, some freelance work and some other things. Um, but that, I think that is another huge red flag for people. If you, if you're sniffing out that people are not being compensated for their work, you're probably in a spiritually abusive, potentially environment. Um, so I think that was, that's really good, good to note. And it's a form of, control. And a lot of times also with these spiritual communities, at least the both that I've been in, these events go all into the night. Like these people, if you see people that are working from, you know, dusk to like dawn until midnight every single day to put these Mm -hmm. on and then they're not getting any, I mean, that is, that is not a, a great situation for anyone. And a lot of times they have spiritual meetings for it. They'll put a spiritual slant on any, on anything to make it, to make it okay. Uh, but I think human decency is a spiritual practice. <laughs> um, so just throwing that out there. No, another red flag, sorry, now I'm thinking about it, is if the spiritual community that you're part of starts to create a nonprofit and funnel and you start to notice that your money is not going to their for-profit organization, but it's going to a separate LLC that has either the leader's name or it's a nonprofit, that's another red flag that I learned about. Mm. Because there's probably some shady financial dealings, and most of these are not actually nonprofit organizations. And you think that makes a cult, right? I think, you think that's a red flag of a cult? I think there's cult potential. I think there's cult okay. potential. I know I why you're asking cause, me. Cause, <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, I'm, I'm smiling and, and, and trying to coax you to, because you don't think that the organization that we met at is a cult, but that is exactly what they did. Yeah, I know. So we can talk about that. Started a non-for-profit organization and then had multiple, uh, multiple LLCs, inks and things like that to whenever we would pay anything to them, it would go to a Mm. different financial. Yeah. I'm not saying that. Yes. I think that there's, that's the part that's like lack of spiritual, I'm sorry, lack of the financial transparency. I do think that that's a red flag. I do. Mm-hmm. I know I will say like for me, I own Modern Mystic Shop and then my reading services goes to me directly. I think, I mean, I don't think I have a cult going on and there might be different ways to structure businesses. I do think the nonprofit piece is a little bit of like, in the, especially in the group that I was in before, a lot was going to this, like all of our dues and stuff started going to like a nonprofit organization. And I know it's a for-profit um, mm-hmm. organization. Do you guys, okay, do you want to, so we can talk about it since Lysandra brought it up. So this is what I thought was interesting. I think we each have different um, ideas about whether this organization that we met in is a cult. So Lysandra, you're saying, what your what's your vote? Well, my experience of it is that I think that, like we said, like we established earlier in the beginning, I like in this call is that I think that you could have a cult experience with that world. And you could also have the, because the way that that group was set up, it was set up for the people 
who were the workers and the people who were the devotees and that really were in that world. They would go by a new name. They uh, really most of the time cut off their families, wore all white, would do the mono diets and would work morning to night and would just be meditating all the time. And then there's the people that are able to pay to come in and out and just you can experience it because of the little because you have the ability to pay the teacher they're not as invested in sucking they they'll suck up your money they won't suck mm-hmm. up your time so and so yeah in that sense all of the all of the things that um I didn't experience it as a cult that I was a part of because I was a more of an ancillary character but I I do believe that it everything that everything that you said that makes a cult is a yes for me when it comes to that organization, especially when it comes to the leader. I don't think that at the end she was an integrity. Okay. That's fair. I'm reading through, I'm reminding myself of these, um, these 10 points here. What do you, Ali, do you want to share an opinion on this? Yeah. Or? Um, pass. Uh, no, I, no, I, <laughs> I agree with, a, but I also, hold on. Also, it should be noted that why are you scared to talk about it? Like, why would you even be scared to talk about it? That is something that culty cults make you afraid of to talk about it. That's why we're not even saying the name of it. So I'm not, yeah, I guess I'm not saying the name of it because I have respect for the people who are still running the organization that, and my hope that perhaps it might be running in a better way for the inner circle people mm-hmm. For, what, for whom it was a cult. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I don't want to damage, through my opinions, the future reputation of this organization because I'm wondering if a, a lot of the checklist is, has been repaired now that the leadership has turned over. So that's why. It's not necessarily protecting the past. It's just protecting sort of the future. Of people that I care about. Yeah. And I understand that, but it does, that is a red flag when people are scared to speak up. Yeah, it could be. What were you going to say, Allie? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate what you just shared and said. I, I did think that was why we were not um, speaking to it. And I also appreciate what you're sharing too, Lissandra. And I agree with uh, I agree with the idea that if you that you could have a variety of experiences, as with every group. I mean, I think that's kind of like what we we've established. Um, I felt like I, because I wasn't a staff, although I I did a couple things there, but I was more of a student, and it was a really beautiful part of my time in LA. Uh, in the beginning of it, right? Like I used to ride my bike down the beach, and it was a really healing time in my life at, when I was just part of more of the classes. Um, and I felt like when I was in it, it was more like just being part of a deep yogic training. Like when we were doing these women's events and gatherings, it was like, yeah, there's a, um, you know, there's a structure to it. And that's just part of, you know, sometimes to learn something, there's a certain structure to receive the experience. But I did feel like when I, you know, when I left participating, it was because I really couldn't deny where I saw the scaling beyond integrity going on. And I also really saw one of the red flags I really appreciate that you discussed was seeing the way people were working and um, 
seeing, you know, that their well-being was probably compromised in that. And that can be confusing when the people seem very happy to be doing it and very in devotion to the experience where it seems like um, a free will decision. But as you can see, many people from that time period now speak to the fact that they feel they were in a cult. So something I think I really learned from that experience in particular and a couple others that are of a similar frequency is just like, do I want to be part of that? Like, do I want to be participating in something where the staff may feel later on that they were in a cult, even if I didn't experience it? Like that was, cause I kind of saw that, but then also it seemed like these people were young and like into it. And this was the experience they wanted to have. But, um, that's something I, I feel like I learned from it is, is, um, realizing that I don't have to change my integrity to, to learn or to, um, to receive something that I can say, these are my standards and, um, this experience doesn't meet that standard. And so I feel like that was a really important red flag to bring up is what, what it looks like is happening for the staff, whether or not it looks like they're in agree in agreement with it at the time. Like, yeah. Yeah. I hear, I hear you. And also kind of thinking about the staff of the organization we're talking about now, and then our access into sort of spiritual abuse situations are all about the same age. They're almost all, if not all, like women or non-binary individuals. So I think that there's also, yeah, there's like, it's like the most susceptible age and vulnerability to be accessed into like a community like this when you're looking for belonging. Um, yeah, Lysandra, like as far as my opinion, so how, so for everyone to be clear, like my, I was like a different, we each had a very different engagement. So I was part of like the long-term programs and a lot more individualized work and small group work with the person that was the head of this organization. And where it's been kind of like a mind fuck for me is that I gained a lot of the positive aspects of this teacher in my personal life. And also there were things that she was doing and ways that she would manage our individual groups and um, staff that I didn't agree with and including, you know, allegations of spiritual abuse from like the founder of the yogic lineage and what she taught. And I guess the way that I've reconciled that within myself is I asked her about all those things like I brought it up. I, I brought it up. And whether it was in a group forum, whether it was in one-on-one -on -one personal conversations, and I guess that's where I was trying to do my due diligence is like, I want to maintain this relationship in this community because I'm benefiting in these certain ways. I wasn't as aware of how bad the working conditions were, but when I know mm. I brought it up and then she put me on a panel to discuss it in front of everybody. <laughs> Um, or like when these uh, sexual abuse allegations came out, I brought it up in like a group call with a lot of women and I was the only one to do so. And I'm not saying that was right, the right way to handle it. I will say though, that was a profound healing for me because I was afraid of getting ostracized from that community because of what happened to me in my past experience, which also Lysandra might say is a red flag probably. Um, but I did it anyway and being able to do it anyway and like speak truth to my truth to someone that was in power um, was actually probably part of my healing so that I won't be as susceptible to joining and guiding blindly. Yeah, Lysandra. 
I think also if I, if, if, and you've, you've watched a lot of these documentaries and stuff like that. Do you not see the way that she handled that also as a form of abuse? Because to, instead of engaging with you and answering the question, she puts you up in front of everybody to then have the gaze of the group Mm -hmm. deal with you instead of just dealing with it one-on-one. Whenever I had a dispute with her and I came to her directly, she would hand me off to one of her team. Like she would never answer a question directly to me. She would figure out a way to, to get it back to her side of things. So I think that it's, um, when in when it comes to those situations, when you're like, this is how she how how she treated the staff. This is how everything else got handled. There's a privilege in that because she didn't do anything directly specifically to you, and I'm coming from a specific place because she did do something specifically to me. That yeah. was she stole from me. So like that yeah. is something that and was di- in out of integrity and and it was something that you know it's. It's a privileged stance to be able to say, oh, I have a personal relationship with, I have a different relationship with this person when you can see what they're doing to other people. Yeah. I don't disagree that it's a privileged relationship and stance. And I guess my thought process at the time was, can I impact change by directly addressing these grievances or I leave, I guess is where I saw saw it. And I the first shot I did was to recognize the grievances. And then I hear what you're saying about having the gaze of the community kind of like get me back in line, if that's kind of what you're saying. And I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. I was thinking of it more as like, it's interesting to have a dialogue with diverse ideas and perspectives instead of just one saying, this is how you treat a millennial workforce. Um, when I didn't agree with it, um, I didn't actually think about it, how you suggested, like maybe trying to get, get me literally how the people in the twin flame documentary would like put, like would deal with everything. They would be like, Oh, let's call you out. Let's do, let's, if you have a problem with me, then they would bring it out into the group. Oh, you said you have a problem with me. And then they would put it, make that person, make that person ask the the leader within in the context in front of the group so that shifts the power dynamic that's Mm. classic cult leader (laughs) all right maybe you're changing my mind (laughs) yeah it's classic it's but it because it's spiritual abuse it's it's using the power dynamic and shifting the energy to get you to lose the power of your argument because then you're like oh maybe maybe it's not as strong because if you had the whole group with you and everybody was strong in their conviction it would have been a different experience because from my, my experience and knows, just knowing some stories that you've shared with me is that whenever the whole group had an opinion, there was resistance. Uh, yeah, there was resistance for sure. Well, but I will say this, and I don't know if this changes your opinion, but I didn't change my staff. I'm sorry. I, I didn't change my perspective even being in front of the group. It, it didn't change how I thought about her practices versus mine. Um, I'm not saying that she changed your perspective. She changed the power dynamic in the room. Mm. And she, and you weren't even aware of it. Yeah. Okay. Because that's how good she was at doing that. And that's when you, now that you're aware of it, when you watch any of these documentaries, it's a classic tactic. 
Mm. That they'll, uh, and I've had um, the person, the the person I used to work with, uh, when she was trying to manipulate. Uh, I was in a group. Uh, Ali, you don't know this, and now the group. I was. I worked mm. for this. I worked for this woman who was also very powerful, and when she was trying to get me to do something that I didn't want to do, she put me in a group chat with a bunch of other people that she knew I couldn't say like that. I couldn't Mm -hmm. speak up. So like it's a tactic to put people in front of a group. Mm -hmm. So then it kind of makes you a little bit smaller and then you're a little bit more likely to be like, be like, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's a, your insane ask is completely reasonable. You're right. Like you're just more, a, able to bow down a little bit and and pr- and be a little bit performative. It's just mm-hmm. it's a classic tactic. Interesting. I'll think about it. I have to still think about. I've never thought of it that that's what was happening before, so I can't say if I agree fully or not. Um, but I'm open to it, and I'm I'm excited that we don't all agree. Ali, were you going to say something? Yeah, I just yeah, I just really appreciate the dialogue you both just had because I think this is like a representation of important conversations people have been inside of a community together and had different experiences. Like this is how it doesn't have to be that you lose everyone. If you don't agree, like it's, I think it's very important to understand your orientation in the group and your uh, position and experience. Um, Something else that I, I feel like I'm hearing from this because I was going to ask you how it felt to be in the panel at the time. And then, you know, Lissandra brought up how this is a tactic. And I I sort of think like, uh, you can see how there's people who were deeply harmed inside of communities and people who weren't. And something I'm thinking about is maybe it's because people experience the tactics differently. Like there's people who are really broken and harmed by things that might have been tactics. And there's people who like, find a way to like, be empowered by the experience or, or, um, yeah, like that's kind of what I'm thinking about right now is I think that's why there's a reason why there's a diversity of experiences that definitely have to do with privilege as well. And, and I think there's a way that people experience the tactics differently based on your personality and based on your, the background of who, of coming into the experience. Yeah, that could be too, you know, um, my wheels are turning. I don't know where to take this from here because I'm like, I'm thinking about so many different <laughs> different things. I'm like spinning. Um, well, I think we covered a lot of what we were, were talking about. Um, we covered about our, well, I guess I'm curious, are there specific um, stops along the way for your healing journey as you kind of divested from these relationships or do you feel like there's anything, any advice? I guess I'm kind of in closing. I'm trying to, I'm curious about how we can guide people. If someone's listening now and they're in a cult like situation, um, do you have any advice or anything that was useful for the healing process to gain, to gain the, the distance um, from the experience? Yeah. I think getting uh, physically, away from the experience will is usually it's hard but it's the first step remove yourself from whatever the abusive um situation is um but make sure that you have someplace safe to go and and all this stuff and i think that for me i i started making plans to leave on my own 
before I announced, before I announced it, I was talking with my therapist and I was going and making, like, I was making my plans. It's like, it's like any abusive situation. You have to like find your safe place and you get, you get out. Like, especially like, I'm sure Kelly, if you're in that community and you have to find a whole place to live. I mean, you had, you had your then uh, boyfriend at the time pick you up in the middle of the night. You had to make, you had to make plans to escape essentially without being dramatic, but you did. And like, that's kind of how one has to do with these abusive situations. So I think that like physically getting away from it as possible and then really dedicating that time to allowing yourself to have the grace to heal. Because I, I, I think for me specifically, I wasn't in a place where I could jump back into life uh, immediately afterwards. Uh, thank God I was able to stay with my mom. Um, and therefore my bills were minimal. And I just, what I did was I got a job at a restaurant and I had never worked at a restaurant before, but that's not what my resume said. Um, I, I, but I did get it. I just started. And that's the part that does, that is, that is tricky too, because I put myself in essentially service and I, which is like the part of the thing that like gets you to the, but like, Mm -hmm. I did feel good not being in my own head all the time that I was working with my, like essentially with my body. And I was able to like, I feel like that time doing something that wasn't about me or my life. It was just literally, I was just doing a job. Uh, and coming home and just taking care of myself for those like six months. And then I had to go into therapy um, after that. And then just really work over the course of the last couple of years, just really trying to find myself again. Because I think that what happens when people leave these situations, your sense of self really gets depleted. I know that in um, when I was leaving my situation, uh, a lot of words were said to me that were very damaging. Um, a lot of things that even though I didn't like, you can consciously like my, like my surface brain is like, these aren't true, but like they, they sting. And in your soul, you're like, Oh, maybe I am a horrible person because mm-hmm. this person just like made you feel that way. Um, and so like just, it takes time, but it, there is a way out the other side and just surrounding yourself with good people uh, and taking care of yourself is uh, what I would recommend. Yeah. What do you think, Allie? Or do you want me to go next? Oh, uh, well, I, I'm happy to go next. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that, that advice. And I, I really feel a resonance in it. Like for me, my recovery of the on deprogramming and really uh, going through the fire and seeing what came out, like kind of the, I call it like the fire of my rejection, like that, whatever was going to come out on the other side from everything I learned. Cause my entire adult life was this world. Like it still, you know, and to an extent it still is like, I didn't know a world that wasn't where this type of community and experiences weren't the priority until my brother died, uh, you know, four years ago. And so it was like, I kind of got ripped out and went back to my, also living with my mom, came back to my family home to like recover and also support her as we went through this experience and um, started therapy. So there's a similarity to it. And, um, and it was the liberation of like, oh, like I could maybe stop trying to 
achieve and heal and save everyone because like the thing I have been most afraid of in my entire life happening just happened. And not one thing I did in the last 15 years prevented it. And there was a, oh, there's a devastation and a freedom in that. So like, I think it's what Lissandra said in giving yourself some space, like go through the fire of the rejection of all of it, see what comes out on the other side. A lot of my spiritual practice came out with me on the other side. And, and now I also have a whole new level of discernment and a loss of innocence that's very helpful. It's called being a woman now. I think there was like a way I was still stayed a little bit stunted because I was so young when I got into this way of understanding the world. I was a bit stunted. And so I think I really came into my womanhood through the experience of taking the space, realizing none of this could save me, but it was also the truth for me of how I experience life in a lot of ways. And then coming back into like spiritual community and spiritual practice from this new gravity. There's a different gravity to me now that like wasn't there before I did this healing. Um, and what I also got to experience, which I kind of hear in your story of working at the restaurant was like being able to find meeting, meaning and have the experiences that maybe the programming told you are only available inside of these retreats or workshops. Like for me, I went through a two-year um, lawsuit where I sued a hospital on behalf of what happened to my brother. And then I wrote a book about it. And it was like, hey, this got me, you know what I mean? Like if you can create a spiritual experience out of a lawsuit, I highly recommend it. If you can't, I don't recommend it because it's very debilitating in other ways. But I got to realize like, oh, there's other ways. Like it's not just this workshop or this whatever, like I no longer, that no longer has any control on me. Even if I choose to participate in things, I no longer think this is the only way I can have the thing I think I need to have for X, Y, and Z. So I think it's important to go back into other realms and other communities and other lifestyles and recognize how much you can receive just by living life, Mm. just like by living life as a normal person. There's a lot to experience. It's not all inside of a workshop. That would be what I would say. Um, what about you, Kelly? That's great advice. Um, for me, I would say the discernment word that you said is really key. Discernment. And well, that's what actually wound up getting me out of the cult was like when that kicked in, it's like my intuition and my knowing is right on. So I think that also goes along with like the mission that I've chose after the cult, which is like so dedicated to giving tools and classes for people to be their own oracle, to like find their own intuition and their own discernment and their own way through through the world. Um, and so I also think um, that's useful, like useful healing work to build your own intuition and self-trust in a new level so that you're not misled or misguided. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, I feel like that for whatever reason, that's the only thing that's coming up for me. Oh, also, yeah, sorry. One more thing is what was useful to me was to like reclaim the work and transformation that I did inside of these groups from as my own, because there was spiritual abuse for sure, but there also was growth and tools and things that I use today that helped me manage my life and my relationships and my business, et cetera. And so there was a time where I was like, fuck all of it. 
throwing it all away. Like I couldn't use my modalities. I couldn't use what I've learned. It doesn't belong to me. It's tainted. Uh, and then I slowly started reintegrating those things that felt resonant for me and that, and like, how can I use this in a new way? And how can I claim the mastery that I actually gained through some of this stuff? Because there was learning and deepening and mastery too, in addition to all this other garbage. Um, I remember getting in an argument recently with my boyfriend and he was like, he was like, um, you know, I don't have as many skills as you do. I mean, I, I know he's like, I really think you learned some stuff in that cult. <laughs> he was like, it's like in a way, like I did, you know, like I didn't leave empty handed, but how can I take the tools that work and resonate and that are clean and apply them to my life with integrity instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater yeah, would be something else I would think about. Point. And I think that's part of the work You've chosen to go into the the lion's den when yeah. you come out i think that's part of the the heroine's journey is like how do you alchemize this all right well maybe that's a good place to yeah. to wrap up is there any final thoughts or you feel like we're we're good yeah. <laughs> yeah i feel good i'm really grateful to have this conversation with the two of you and and hear both of your experiences and perspectives and get a chance to really talk about this in depth in this way. I, I'm really grateful that you had me do this. And yeah, thank you both. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you for your vulnerability. And thank you for, um, yeah, being willing to put like faces and voices and names to these experiences, because I think people are going to find themselves in us. Uh, and hopefully that will be useful moving forward. So thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Moonday Mystic. All the information for Ali and Lysandra and where they are and the work they do, we will put in the show description. So you can, if you want to learn more about these wonderful women, uh, please do so there. And uh, thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Moonday Mystic by Modern Mystic Shop. Moonday Mystic is hosted and created by Kelly Knight, produced by Ariel Duncan, and inspired by magical listeners like you. 